The benefits that unions win don't just go to the union members. They become the standard. When labor won the fight for an eight-hour workday and a 40-hour work week with overtime pay, that became the standard. When labor fought for minimum wages, that became the standard. When labor fought for workplace safety, that became the standard. Labor's fight is a fight to set the standard for the rest of us. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So the importance of unions for working people over the years can't be overstated, right? All of the benefits and comforts that we enjoy on the job are really because of the efforts of organized labor. Even for those who've never and will never be in a union, that's what Dave Johnson meant when he wrote those words that opened the show today. Dave Johnson, interestingly enough, is a guy who made a career as a high-level executive in the tech industry, and now he writes about U.S. manufacturing, trade, economic, and industrial policy. He was a corporate guy, but he gets it. Despite people like Dave Johnson, corporate America continues its attack on organized labor and consequently on American workers. Their greed for money and power is their constant focus. They don't care about workers' rights or the needs of working families, because they only see us as an expenditure that is necessary in the pursuit of profits. That's what we're talking about today, that ongoing attack on workers today, um, how labor is continuing to fight a fight that, frankly, keeps getting harder, and, and why it keeps getting harder. That's what we're talking about. We'll talk about other activity that affects the labor movement as well, but first, we need to talk a bit more about our new contract, Contract 2023. Um, that's the contract for the Connecticut and Florida members here at Local 1150. Um, we want to go through some implementation dates on some of the high-level stuff in the contract just so people know when to expect certain things that are in that agreement. So take it away, Jay. Yeah, so there have been a ton of changes. A lot of them have already gone into effect, so we're going to kind of leave those off the list and focus on what's still outstanding. Um, personal time no longer goes against your perfect attendance. Hopefully everybody caught that by now, but you're free to use that without having any um, impact on your perfect attendance. And newer employees receive five days of personal leave, um, effective January 1st as well. Uh, so that language was changed. Yep. Personal leave lump sum payouts this year are uh, scheduled to go out the first week of March as normal. Uh, vacation, on the other hand, is going to go out a little bit later this year. It's going to be March 16th. And then in the following years of the contract, it'll go back to the normal last week of February. Right. Uh, vacation for new hires and the computation for vacation pay, getting the 40 hours times your base rate or the 2% per week, that's also active um, and already in place. Okay. Your vacation rate as of this uh, episode should now be correct. So you could go in your paycheck, check your vacation rate. I think we've done a few episodes on how to calculate that. So you can yep. kind of dig back in our archives. Yeah. So make sure you're doing that. Make sure you're checking that. If you think it's not right, get with your steward and um, make an issue out of that. Like we said, those will be out March 16th. Um, the point accumulator change. That's a big one that's outstanding. That's going to be how we change, how we reduce our point totals. That's going to go into effect on April 1st. It could go in sooner, uh, but April 1st is the current deadline. Right. What's going to happen? So talk about what's going to happen with that. 
Yeah, so we used to go 30 days without having any um, negative impact to your attendance record. So anything that causes points after 30 days, you would drop eight points. Right. Now we've changed this. We heard from our members. They want a reward for coming to work. Um, so in that spirit, you now will cut your hours after you've worked 160 hours in the plant. Right. It'll be 130 hours for third shift. And the nice thing about this is that you can take an absence, you could take points, you're not going to reset the number of hours worked. Right. Um, so as long as you're coming to work, it gives you more flexibility and you can keep chopping those points. Yep. So until April, we're still on the old system of the 30-day accumulator, just so everybody understands when they do implement this new 160-hour accumulator, they're going to drop eight points from everyone's total. Yep, and that'll take care of, you know, regardless of where you were in your current 30 days. It's right. just to give you the benefit of the doubt there. Yep. Um, perfect attendance pay versus time. So a lot of you might remember we are switching from getting four hours of pay and four hours of time off to just getting eight hours of pay with no time off. If you've accumulated any perfect attendance time, you can still use that. Um, but starting after this quarter, you'll be able to get the eight hours paid, and that first payout for that would be in April. Right. COLA, there's now no decrease, and the max is $0.30. Cents. Um, effective August 21st of 2023 will be the first scheduled COLA of the new contract. So that's right. our regularly scheduled date. Yep. Auto wage progression. So we now increase to $0.25, cents, and that should have been done in the last pay period of January 2023. And it will happen again in May and September. So take a look at that, folks. And, and if there was a problem with this, you should have noticed it by now. But everybody should be looking at their pay stubs. Make sure that your wage is increased by 25 cents in the last pay period of January. If it didn't, if it went up by 10 cents, um, we know that the company made that mistake with some folks. Just take a look. If it only went up by 10 cents, just let somebody know. Let your supervisor know. Let your steward know so they can fix that. Bright Horizons, so that's going to be our uh, new care that we got for emergency care for a dependent or for a, well, a dependent or an elderly person in your yep. family. Um, that's going to go into effect in June, hopefully June 1st. Yep. The savings plan match increases, so the, the increase went up to $94 a week. That's going to be effective on 213. You could go in and make your changes. Um, you're going to have the ability to increase the contribution, and it'll be retroactive to January 1st. Right, so make sure. So when this episode airs, it should be just after that date. So you should have the ability right now to go in and make those changes, increase those contributions. Um, for the folks who do increase those contributions, like Jason said, it's going to go back to January 1st. They're going to retro all that back. Yep. And there's also going to be the same scenario for the IMA. So your individual medical account, the contribution limit increased to $23. Catch-up increases to $9, $10, and $11. Um, so that'll be effective 213. Go in, make your change, and that'll be retroactive to January 1st. The flip of the wage scale and the wage adders, that all went into effect. They're still working through some of the system changes and job descriptions, and those should be done no later than April 1st. Yep. So, so on that, and, and this is kind of prompted by a, a call that I got last week, any member out there who was receiving an annual bonus payment under letter 15 of the old contract, so it was a $1,400 bonus payment that came in December, uh, $3,700, $5,100, or $5,200. If you were receiving one of those bonus payments, 
that bonus payment is gone. You're not getting that anymore. You got a raise instead. You got a bump in a labor grade instead. So anyone getting the $1,400 is now a labor grade 12. Um, anyone getting $3,700 is a labor grade 13. And anyone who was getting either 5100 or 5200 is now a labor grade 14. And I know some folks weren't aware of that. They were wondering why their hourly wage went up so much. That's why. So if you were getting one of those bonuses, just know that that's why you got a raise in your paycheck. Yeah, and those wage adders were always, the intent was to make them like an extra labor grade. Exactly. So by flipping the labor scale, that gave us the ability to create the new labor grades yep. so we don't have to have a need for all these wage adders. Right. Parental leave is going to be effective on June 1st. That's another great benefit that we were able to add. Yeah. Um, safety glasses, we're going to do $200 stipend for glasses if used in 2023. That number goes down in uh the following years of the contract, but right. that's because we pick up a new health care and they're going to be covering, Allegiant Care will cover safety glasses. And when you combine the two stipends, it'll total $230. Right. Yep. Safety shoes, that went up to $150 for shoes three times over the, the life of the contract. Um, the new subsidies go into effect on the 20th of February. Members can still use any remaining subsidies um, until February 20th, but keep in mind you can only use one subsidy per calendar year. Right. So if you use the old one, um, you're going to have to wait until the new calendar year to use the new one. But keep in mind you only get three over the five years, so you have plenty of time to use up any remaining subsidy that you might have left and then start the new ones. Yep. The AFO restructure. That is fully in effect. Uh, the wages are in place. They're still making some system changes, still working on the job descriptions, and that should be done no later than April 1st as well. And I know some people are listening to this, and if you're an inspector out on final assembly and you're listening to this, we understand there are ongoing conversations about that, both with the company and with the inspectors themselves. Um, and we're going we're gonna to try to work that out and get the right thing done for everybody, try to put some money into everybody's pockets, but that the inspection thing is still ongoing. The pension increase is up next. That increased to $96, and that's effective on the 1st of March. And then the enhanced VSO, so we're getting towards the deadline to apply. Uh, the application tool will remain open through the 17th of February, and the company is going to provide dates to all employees by February, uh, I'm sorry, March 6th. Employees should wait until they have a date before calling Raytheon or Lockheed for their pension package, unless you're just calling to request like general pension numbers. Uh, that date is very important to give you, giving you accurate information. Yeah. So calling early really doesn't provide any benefit. No, at this point, it, it, the best bet is to just wait until you hear from the company on the decision on your, your application for VSO and then call. Yeah, and to be clear, you might have a preferred date that you've identified, but until the company accepts that date, it's really not beneficial. Yep. And that pretty much wraps up all the changes we have left for our contract that haven't been effective yet. If you have questions, please talk to your steward, talk to your business agent, you know, let the union know if you have any questions and we can clarify some of that stuff. We know that there's a lot of confusion surrounding implementation of some of the stuff that's in the contract. Um, this has been like no other contract I've ever seen. Yes, a lot of changes were made, um, but I think the company's been pretty slow in implementing some stuff. Um, you know, so that's our fight and we're going to continue to fight until everything's done. But again, let us know if you have questions or concerns about any of that. 
And anybody looking for it, our contract is available on the website. Our contract's available in the app. Yep. We have all the contract summaries from uh, ratification available in the app. And we're constantly updating with new guides and information that clarify all the questions that we're regularly getting. So if you don't have it yet, go download the mobile app. Yep. It's available on you know Google Play Store and Apple. Um, and get an account because it makes a big difference in getting information quickly. And it is at the printer now. The, the contract's at the printer. Um, you know, we're, we're printing thousands of copies of these things, and we have to get a mail house to mail them to you. So you are going to get a copy of the contract in the mail. Every member will get a copy in the mail. But um, it's still going to take a little while longer to get through that. But look to your mailbox for a nice, fresh, new copy of the contract pretty yeah. soon. So let's um, let's talk about what we came here to talk about, this kind of war on workers, right? We, we use that phrase a lot, the war on workers. But we spent a lot of time on this podcast right from the first episode talking about, you know, that wave of union activity that's been sweeping the country. And, and I think... Um, we even did an episode on Striketober, I think, or at least a portion of an episode on Striketober. And that was in late 2021, where there was a barrage of strikes across the country. Um, that's, I think, the first thing we want to talk about. It's one of those strikes that happened during what we call Striketober. Um, it was at a company called Glacier Northwest. It was a bunch of Teamsters that went on strike against this company, Glacier Northwest. It's a ready-mix concrete company up in Seattle, Washington. So it was workers who drive cement trucks. Um, They were getting frustrated with the slow pace of contract negotiations. I think that they had gone beyond the expiration of their contract, and they were doing extensions. Um, and, And the workers just were getting frustrated because the company was, you know, was slow walking the negotiations. So they decided to go on strike. And on the day of the strike, the drivers reported for work. Those that had early runs in the day, they had their trucks loaded with cement. They went out on the road. The time came to go on strike, right? The union set a time of the day. Hey, here's when we're walking off the job. That time came. Those drivers who were out on the road with full trucks returned to the company, and they left their trucks and walked off the job. But the guys who had loads in their truck, right, the guys who had cement in their truck, they left their trucks on. They left the containers turning, right, so that the concrete wouldn't just set up. So the company wasn't able to deliver that cement. Some of it hardened. It was required to be destroyed and done away with, right, thrown away, whatever they do with concrete. I don't know what they do. Um, The strike only lasted a week. They came to an agreement after a week, and then the company sued the union. Yeah, nice way to memorialize your new contract, turn around and sue you. I wonder if they kind of tipped their hand they were going to do that at negotiations, because that might have impacted the decision to ratify a new agreement. Yeah, I I wonder. Uh, The incident happened in 2017, so this has been a long— Oh, it did? Yeah, so this August of 2017. Um, and the company here had noticed that, you know, they know they're involved in a labor dispute. Yep. They know that their contract isn't going well. They're the ones, too, that know in their heart of hearts, yeah, we're not going to agree to what the company's at or what the union's asking for. Right. So they, it's on them to have contingency plans in place. And one of the points the union made, they could have gone and hired workers to replace them. Mm-hmm. They chose not to do that. They chose not to plan. They chose not to make their management aware of how to safely dump the trucks, I guess. Right, or deliver the the concrete. I mean, how is, as a business that does this for a living, do you not have contingency plans in place for your management? They're the ones who should be writing those. Yep. Um, So it's interesting 
the Supreme Court Justice uh, Sonia Sotomayor asked the question, could a state tell the union don't go on strike except at a certain, you know, at the end of the day? Right. Because the basis of the of the lawsuit, let's talk about that. The lawsuit says so the company says the Teamsters planned the strike intentionally at a time that they knew would cause what happened, right, would cause drivers to have full loads and would cause the company to lose money because they had to destroy concrete that couldn't be delivered. This is the basis of the lawsuit, that they intentionally did this to, um, I, I think what the lawsuit says is they destroyed company property. Yeah, so they're really making it out to be a malicious act that right. was you know, premeditated to to upset the company and to harm the company. Yep. So they filed a lawsuit in where the only place where you can is in a state court. And the state court ruled that they couldn't rule on the case. Their ruling was they couldn't rule on the case because the strike is protected by federal law. Yeah, specifically the National Labor Relations Act. Right. Um, so what the union alleges is that this case, due to what's called the Garmin rule, has to go through the NLRB and be decided by the NLRB. And the purpose for this is that the NLRB is a specialized um, group that's empowered by Congress. And yep. the point is that they become experts in labor law. They become experts in these types of disputes and what would constitute the threshold for being, uh, I guess, too far. Right. So that's where they were, right? The court ruled, we can't rule on this case, the NLRB, um, it precedes our ability to rule on this case. So it's an NLRB case. Um, and the, the Garmin decision is very important. It protects unions from being constantly brought into court yep. and having these companies with huge pockets be able to just bankrupt unions by having them defend against constant litigation for you know loss of economic profit. Exactly. And you got to remember the point of a strike is to cause economic loss. You're withholding your labor, which is really the only thing we can do yep. to make them realize what we're worth. Right. And it's also important to realize these aren't unskilled labor. You know, this isn't people that you can easily just replace right. because they would have done that. Yep. They would have. Yeah. So now we're, we're in the Supreme Court, right? The Supreme Court just heard this case. Um, they, they don't have a ruling yet, but they, they heard the arguments in the case because the company advanced it all the way to the Supreme Court stating that or claiming that um, what the union did constitutes vandalism, right? They intentionally destroyed company property. That constitutes vandalism. And vandalism is one of the things in the National Labor Relations Act that renders a strike unprotected. Yeah, so it's called preempting um, state tort claims, I believe. Okay. I think I got that right. But anyway... Basically, it's saying in certain, certain cases, there's a need to protect the public. There's a need to protect companies yep. against great harm. Right. Um, and there's varying degrees of all this. So there's a few cases of a milk company and a cheese company. They ended up with spoiled products due to a strike. Yep. And that was deemed well within the protection of you know the National Labor Relations Act. Absolutely. Um, Chief John, Justice John Roberts put it that, this standard excuses striking dairy factory workers for spoiled milk, but does not allow them to kill the cow. And that's a perfect, that's a great quote. Because so, so I'm thinking back to our strike in 2006, right? The company lost hundreds of millions of dollars. They didn't deliver helicopters while we were out on strike. Listen, that's the purpose of a strike. The purpose of a strike is to hurt the company financially so that they come back to the bargaining table and they listen. So the example that I would use, if you 
if you look at our strike, we're protected by doing that, right? We're withholding our labor. Yes, we're causing the company financial harm by causing them to not have the ability to deliver helicopters. But we would have been in violation of the law if we took that step further. And and people do this, right? Before the strike, we destroyed tools or hid tools or, you know, did something like that inside the factory to purposely harm the company, yes. right? That would be different. So in my opinion, if they had just returned these full trucks, full of concrete, knowing that the concrete's going to harden and shut the drum off, that right. would have been premeditated. Shutting the drum off is now going to cause damage to the truck. Yep, they you're, didn't do that. You're now killing the cow, so to speak. Yep. They didn't do that. No. So what they did, you know, they just basically withheld their labor. And the company should have planned for this, knowing that they're in a, you know, at the end of a very contentious labor dispute. Yeah. There's other cases, too, where they are expected to, I guess, exercise caution. And one of them has to do with a foundry that poured molten lead. They were ruled in that case you couldn't abruptly walk off the job because you would be leaving the employer's facilities in a condition that could either cause the facility to melt and get damaged yep. or injure other workers. Right. Um, so cases of, like, public safety, you know, probably some cases like guarding a prison. Yep. Um, those are scenarios where immediately vacating would cause chaos. Right, or public harm. Or, it's why police officers can't walk off the job and go on strike. But the majority of those contracts, I believe, have written right into them the no-strike clause. Exactly. This does not. Right. So if the company wanted to bargain that, I think, personally, the time to bargain that was during negotiations, yep. not a week later when they try to sue the union. Yeah, and in the case of the, the lead foundry, I, I mean, I get it. Right. If people walk off the job, the building is going to be destroyed. Public health is at risk. So I get that. Right. I still sort of have a problem with the idea of not allowing strike, you know, a strike to happen organically. But I, I do get those rules. And to your point, let's negotiate those into contract. If it's that important to a company, let's negotiate those rules into a contract. Let's not just go to court and fight it after the fact. And, and besides the point. You said that it's going to harm other workers. Who are those workers? They're scabs. <laughs> I, I'm just saying they're scabs. So not that they should die, but <laughs> listen. Molten metal molten for you. lead for you. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and still talking about this Glacier case, it's really worrisome. Right? It is. It is because— what the National Labor Relations Act does is it protects unions that are engaging in what they call concerted activities for the purpose of collective bargaining or what they call other mutual aid or protection. Um, and a separate part of the NLRA speaks specifically to the right to strike and that it shall be preserved. Yep. Uh, Congress created this body with the intent to preserve the right to strike. Yep. So this is really jeopardizing that by changing the precedent of where these cases can be heard. Um, right. typically, well, always federal law trumps state law. Yep. So if they were to just allow them to circumvent the Garmin process and just take everybody to small claims court, unions would have to worry about going on strike because the fear of being sued and crippling the union, it bankrupting. Will, and, and, and that's why we're talking about that today, right? Because this case has far reaching implications. And this is not one of those cases where our members can say, ah, that's not going to happen to us. If this case is ruled 
in favor of the company. If the Supreme Court rules in favor of the company and allows this lawsuit to go forward, we're all going to get sued when we go on strike. Yeah, All of us. And the Supreme Court of Washington, the state of Washington, had already ruled in favor of the union. Yep. When the case was, you know, ultimately then picked up by the federal Supreme Court. Right. Um, And what's really worrisome about this is if you read about this case, and hopefully some of you will, you'll do some research on this case after you listen to us. uh, The quote unquote experts on this stuff on the Supreme Court, most of them believe that the Supreme Court is going to rule in favor of the company. Yeah. Due to, I think, a history of decisions over the past few years that have gone in companies' favors. Yep. Um, you know, one of them, again, going back to Justice Sotomayor, she put it pretty bluntly and said, so you're saying that you as an employee have to continue in, in employment duty with me until all my profits are safe. Right. Because if unions are required to preserve, you know, every cent of the employer's profit, then what good is a strike? It's no good. It's the purpose of a strike, like I said before. Yeah. The purpose of the strike is to squeeze a company financially so that they come back to the bargaining It's table. like, what else would you like us to do? Should we go hire your replacement scabs to come in, too? Right. Should we, on this date, we're going to walk out, so don't yep. forget to get our replacements Listen, ready? Listen, this is our only weapon, right? And we're talking to our members on this podcast because this is our only weapon. We showed that in 2006. This union, Local 1150 was built on 2006. We were a pretty solid union before 2006. We are the most powerful union in the state of Connecticut since 2006. It did for us what we needed it to do, right? It strengthened this union uh, to a point where we're a force to be reckoned with, and we have to be when we're going up against a company like Lockheed Martin, which is also a force to be reckoned with, right? We need that strength, and we need that power, and our power is entirely tied up in our ability to strike. Really important. Yeah, so the last thing I want to say about the Garmin case, and it was the full name of the case is San Diego Trades Council versus Garmin. Um, but that lays out the process that the employer has to use in order to go after what you call a tort claim like this or damage to their property. And what it specifies is that first you have to go through the NLRB. The NLRB will then determine whether or not this constitutes you know, protected activity. And right. if they determine it's protected, then there's no monetary recourse available to the company. It's protected and there's nothing they can do. The, I think an injunction could be filed in some cases, but... Right. There's no financial ability to recoup any loss. And that's part of the Glacier's complaint. They want to recoup the cost of the spoiled concrete. Yeah. And and so there is this process, right? The Garmin process allows companies to explore that, right? But every time a company has been successful in getting around the Garmin process, it's been egregious activity. Yeah, like the metal foundry. Exactly. It's been egregious activity. So I don't know of anyone in their right mind who would consider what these drivers did as egregious. Like you said, they parked their trucks. They didn't turn the, the, um, what do you call them? Yeah. The drum, the drum. They didn't turn the drum off. They left the trucks running. They left the drums turning so that the concrete wouldn't set up. Right. Who's managing your yard. Right. You're not aware every truck. You don't think to yourself, Oh, they went on strike. I wonder what the trucks are doing right now. Right. I mean, we're not your possessions. We're here as workers. Yeah. We're not required to keep working. It's a little bit scary. Uh, I'm I'm really worried about this case, and I'm worried about the implications that it has on us. Yeah, and going back to the what I was saying before about the Garmin process. So the union's point is that 
if you go through the process as required by law and the court determines that it was not a protected activity, you then have the ability to take us to state court. But yep. this needs to go through, as precedent has been set by the Supreme Court, it needs to go through that kind of Garmin phase. Yep. And it did, right? Um, I Well, the, so the NLRB issued, um, a, a, an, was it an injunction? What did they They issued a, a complaint against Glacier. Right. And basically what they said is that by filing a lawsuit in state court, they were retaliating. Right. Uh, which would be considered a violation of the Labor Relations Act. Right. So now the NLRB has essentially ruled on this saying, hey, the company's lawsuit is retaliation for union activity. Yeah. And Garmin doesn't require the union to show that its actions were protected by the NLRA. It only requires that it showed that they were arguably protected. And that's a very low bar, very different. Right. Yep. Um, and what the union's further alleging is that since the NLRB filed this complaint against Glacier, it should have already kind of met that threshold that everything they're doing is arguably protected. Yeah. So, you know, this is, again, a really important case. It's something that we're going to keep our eye on. Uh, it just got heard at the Supreme Court. Supreme Court uh, decisions usually take a while to come out. So we're, we're waiting on that decision. Uh, our general president had some stuff to say about this, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So we had a press release come out of the International Teamsters office, and our president, Sean O'Brien, said, Workers in America have the fundamental right to strike, and American workers have died on picket lines to protect it. The ability to withhold your labor is the one powerful tool throughout the history of unionization that has ensured workers can improve their working conditions. This right is now on trial at the Supreme Court. The anti-worker case before the court is undemocratic and disregards longstanding legal precedent. It is about corporations using the legal system to try to deny workers their inherent power. Regardless of the outcome, corporate America will fail in such pursuits because American workers will never be broken. For both the American worker and our entire country, the Supreme Court must affirm the lower court's ruling that the legality of the strike falls exclusively within the jurisdiction of the National Labor Relations Board. The right of workers to strike must be preserved and protected. And that's the bottom line, right? That's what this case is all about, is our right to strike, our right to freely strike and not worry about getting sued if we do. Right. So while the Supreme Court is, I think, expected to rule against us on this, uh, that's a nightmare for us. We have lots of difficulties with the Supreme Court right now as unionists. Um, and while that's going on, on the opposite side of the spectrum, the National Labor Relations Board is in a great place for us right now, right? right. We, we we're getting good rulings out of them. Unfortunately, the National Labor Relations Board has small teeth, right? They don't have big, sharp teeth. They have really small teeth. And um, so what they say doesn't carry the weight of the Supreme Court. But still, we're getting a lot of good rulings out of the National Labor Relations Board lately, just looking at some activity since the beginning of this year. So just a couple of months, right? We've gotten some good rulings. So let's just talk about a couple of them. So uh, five charges against Apple were filed, alleging that Apple maintained work rules, handbook rules, confidentiality rules that interfere with, restrain, or coerce employees 
in the exercise of their right to protected collective activity. Um, the NLRB found uh, that those charges had merit. The ruling orders Apple and the charging party to kind of get back together and settle the dispute themselves, or the case will be sent to an NLRB administrative judge, and that judge will settle this case. And, you know, if you look at the charges being upheld, um, that judge will likely rule, you know, in favor of the charging party and make some changes to Apple's rules that they don't probably want to change. So they're going to have to go and bargain with this one employee, I think, which probably doesn't sit too well with them. Right. So that's going to be uncomfortable for them. Out in Oakland, California, the Permanente Medical Group was refusing to bargain with and provide pertinent information to the healthcare workers union. Um, during negotiations, the NLRB um, got a charge on that, and they ordered Permanente to cease and desist immediately from refusing to bargain and from any activity that infringes on the rights of the workers to act collectively. So that's another good one. United Scrap Metal PA in Philadelphia. Um, this is a pretty egregious one. Um, when I was reading this, I was kind of shocked with some of the things that they were doing. They were fighting an organizing drive by the laborers' union, um, they committed a bunch of infractions during the campaign and actually even after the vote happened. So um, they were allowing anti-union worker meetings to happen on the property, but at the same time, they were not allowing pro-union worker meetings to happen. So they were literally just siding with the anti-union folks and letting them have meetings in conference rooms um, and then not allowing the, the pro-union people to do the same thing. They were confiscating union T-shirts from employees. They were confiscating union authorization cards that people were being given to sign. That's a big one. That's a huge one. Um, they were literally assisting anti-union workers in the distribution of anti-union literature. Um, they were changing work schedules for the pro-union employees so that they weren't able to attend meetings. Uh they were soliciting grievances. This is unbelievable. They were soliciting grievances from employees while promising them that they would resolve those grievances in their favor if they voted against the union. Wow. Um, and then they were refusing to recognize lawfully executed union election. Um, so the union won the election. They were refusing to recognize the union. So all of these charges were brought to the NLRB, and the NLRB ordered the company to cease and desist immediately all activities that infringed on workers' rights, and they ruled that the laborers' union was the sole bargaining agent for the company's employees and told the company to enter into negotiations. Yeah, there's a handful of other cases just this year in which employers are engaged in activities that violated you know, the rights of workers to yep. act collectively. Um, in pretty much all of these cases, the NLRB issued cease and desist letters to uphold the rights of the workers. And, you know, these cases collectively send the message that employers are still engaged in illegal activities to keep yeah. workers from joining unions. Yep. And the NLRB now has our back. There's times in history where, depending on who's in there, yeah. we haven't had a lot of support. And right now, luckily, we're getting good support. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that kind of shows you why we need to protect the certain procedural measures that are in place, like having to go through the NLRB, having that jurisdiction. Yeah. 
I want to say to our members that this speaks directly to the importance of our union being politically active because all of this stuff has political implications, right? The Supreme Court has political implications. The NLRB certainly has political implications because every time um, there's a new president elected, the board changes, right? The board is a political body. They are appointed by a president based on their politics, and it changes. So, you know, when we talk about elections have consequences, they have direct consequences um, for us in this arena. And all I ask, right, is that people consider all of that stuff when they vote in elections, right? Because elections do have consequences, and we have to consider these types of things that we're worried about right now, frankly. We're really worried about it. And listen, if we don't have the right to strike, then our wages are going to go down. Our benefits are going to get cut. You've got nothing to fight with if you can't withhold your labor. And, And this job will not be the great job that it is today. 10 years from now. It no, just won't. No job would be. No job will be. So that it's important stuff. Um, one other thing I wanted to talk about today was Marty Walsh. Uh, I don't know if everybody knows who Marty Walsh is, but this is kind of devastating news for us, I think. Um, not everybody agrees with me on that, but listen, Marty Walsh is a personal friend of Sean O'Brien, the general president of the Teamsters Union. Marty Walsh Um, is a a lifelong union guy who dropped out of college and finished his bachelor's degree online when he was only when he was at the age of 42 right so uh, he ran the laborers union for quite a while for many years uh, got himself elected mayor of boston and he held that post for several years before being tapped by president biden to be the united states secretary of labor so he's leaving that position now Um, and i i think this is not good for us He's leaving the position of uh, Secretary of Labor of the United States to become the new head of the NHL Players Association. Um, I think it's a bad thing for labor. Pretty sweet position to take. It's a great position to take, and it's really, it seems like it's the job that he's dreamed about all his life. Um, It's a perfect job for him. He's been a season ticket holder for the Boston Bruins since he was 21 years old. Um, he publicly acknowledged years ago that he was thrown out of a Bruins game in 1995 for excessive alcohol consumption. It actually is something that led him to recovery. Um, he had a drinking problem, and he was led to recovery by that be, being thrown out of that game, that Bruins game. Um, he actually spoke at the Democratic National Convention um, and began his speech by saying, Hi, I'm Marty, and I'm an alcoholic. So um, that's, you know, the, that's what wow. he's all about, right? He's, he's a pretty down-to-earth, cool guy. I had the, the pleasure of meeting him once. Um, it's a, this is a loss for organized labor. To have a union guy as the Secretary of Labor is really important, and it's been important for a couple of years. Um, and this is going to be a loss. He yeah. has been criticized over his couple of years as the head of the Department of Labor, but, um, you know— the criticisms are kind of in our favor, right? Yeah, I think one of them he, was for going to the Kellogg strike, right? Yeah, he went to the picket lines and walked the picket lines with striking workers at Kellogg's, and he was criticized for that because, as the as the head of the labor department, he he should kind of remain neutral. He has trouble doing that. He's a union guy. That's what he is. So um, we are—I don't want to say we're stuck with. We we are now left with secretary. Uh, sorry, deputy. Labor Secretary Julie Su. Um, she's also been under some criticism through her career. 
um, right in her home state of California. She oversaw the uh, execution of that state's gig worker law, and gig workers, quite frankly, aren't really happy with that law. So, you know, it was a law that she thought was going to protect gig workers, and gig workers didn't want the protection that she rolled out. Um, So that's a little worrisome, right? Uh, We want someone in that position who's going to listen to us and maybe pursue laws that work for us, not just that she thinks are good. On the flip side, though, I think she did work very closely with Marty. So I I think Mm -hmm. they were pretty closely aligned on a lot of things. And it's tough. I think sometimes you could have the best of intentions, but how it pans out is hard to predict. Yeah. Let's see how she adapts. Yep. Um, we're rooting for her and we're, I'm sure that, um, Sean O'Brien is already calling that office and trying to get a sit down with her to make sure that we're all on the same page. Um, we have all the faith in the world and Mr. O'Brien, um, and what he's doing for us, but, um, that's the news. So, uh, upcoming events, upcoming events. We've got the March membership meeting that's going to be coming up on March 15th. We're asking everybody, please come down in person. I know the Zoom link is convenient, but we've got a food truck here. We've got merchandise for sale. Um, Try coming down. You'll probably stick to it. Yeah, it's really important to come down. And and that's a great point, Jason, because we just did a couple of weeks ago, we did our steward meeting and invited some inspectors from AFO to join that meeting uh, just to voice their either concerns or their opinion on this consolidation of the two inspection groups out there. And there was some really good conversation. It got a little bit crazy here in the hall. But the problem with it was more people attended on Zoom. We had literally like 50 people in each meeting on Zoom. And those folks, I'm sorry, you can listen in on Zoom. It's really hard to take an active role in the meeting when you're on Zoom. It's a very difficult thing to do. We try really hard to let people ask their questions and all. It's just not the same experience. No, and trying to poll people for their opinions and answer questions, it is a lot harder to do with Zoom. It is. So to Jason's point, please come down to a meeting, right? Take the time to come to a union meeting. It's really important for the union leadership to hear your opinions, to hear your questions, to address your concerns. Um, come on down, have some free food from the from the truck, and hear hear what's going on. Yeah, we're talking about one hour a month. I mean, it's really not the huge time commitment. It's it seems yeah. inconvenient to say, oh, tomorrow I'm going to go do that, you know, before work or after work, whatever it may be. Third shift, I feel for you because you're really in the middle of your morning day, yep. whatever it is for you. Yeah. Um, but try to get here. Yeah, it's a really good idea. So that's all we have. We have nothing else, right? No, we're going to, I'm sure we'll have different caucus events and things going on throughout the month. Just keep, you know, look in our app, look on social media, and we'll make sure that we're uh, getting to you. Yeah. As we break out of the winter, right, we're going to start planning all of our events. So we'll talk about all that stuff as they come up. Um, but, But that's all we have for today. Really keep in mind, right? Keep your eye on the Supreme Court. Keep your eye on the National Labor Relations Board. See what they're doing for us. See what they're not doing for us. Um, pay attention and let your politicians know what you think about it. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Um, Thanks for following the 10 to 12 podcast. If you're not following the 10 to 12 podcast, shame on you. Go to Podbean right now and follow the 10 to 12 podcast. Remember to let us know what you think about the show. If you hate it, let us know. If you love it, let us know. But let us know something. Shoot us an email at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. 
And until next time, I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you next time.